0: But we're talking about resurrection today and of course John's Gospel. We've had some of the verses spoken to us. Jesus received the news of Lazarus being very ill. Now interesting, he didn't rush to go and heal him. He only did the things the Father told him to do. Um, he only spoke the words the Father told him to speak. And so the Father obviously said, just wait son. And, but he waited too long as far as the natural realm was concerned but it was the right time as far as God was concerned. And when Jesus came to the tomb, rolled away the stone and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus come forth and out came that man alive from the dead, still wound up with the grave clothes. An amazing story. Well, I I just want to speak on resurrection in general today. It's a wonderful subject. It's a very important subject, really important and uh, there's no way I can cover the whole sphere of this wonderful subject but I'll I'll try and say what I can and um, maybe uh, I trust it will be a real encouragement to us. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And uh, we've been looking at the I am's, there are many I am's here in John's Gospel Um in Exodus 3 when Moses was called by God from the burning bush to go to um, down to Egypt and to deal with Pharaoh and the people of Israel, uh, he said, but what am I going to say? Who sent me? And we know that God spoke to him Exodus 3. Uh, Moses. Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am and he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. And we know that name as the word Jehovah or uh, the letters YHWH which we declare as Yahweh. So God has a name. Um, You could say pastor but that's just a title. But Lauren, that's a personal name. God has a personal name and his name is I Am. And here we see two forms of his name. I Am and I Am Who I Am am. And this reveals the eternal and unchanging nature of God. God is always I am. He is not in any way changed or affected by the course of time which is but a part of his own creation for God past, present and future are ever united in an eternal present the eternal I am. And as we've seen before, John's Gospel chapter 6, Jesus said I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door. John 10 again, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. John 15, I am the true vine. And then again in Revelation, I am the alpha and the omega who is and who was and who is to come. And again, I am the first and the last. So God's personal name is Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, or I am. Well, we're looking at the resurrection today. Uh, what is the meaning of that word resurrection? If you look up your dictionary, as I did, it means the act of rising from the dead. The act of... Of rising from the dead, but also the state of those risen from the dead. So it's the act of rising from the dead. It's the state of those risen from the dead. And the Greek word is Anastasis. Anyone heard of the the ship called Anastasis? Um, years ago, God gave the uh, Lauren Cunningham and others a, a vision of having ships in youth of the mission, and uh, the first ship they purchased well, actually the first ship they purchased to to operate, um, they named it the MV motor vessel Anastasis. And that word in the Greek uh, means a standing up again, a standing up again, literally a resurrection from death, a resurrection from death. And so uh, some years went by, they had the Anastasis and then they had other smaller ships to go around the Pacific Islands and smaller ports, but then they found uh, it was easier to form a separate organisation because they're dealing with governments, dealing with uh, businesses that are giving free food and so on to them. So rather than be an inter faith mission, they form the Mercy Ships. And uh, every year I go down to the main um, North America base uh, on the continent, um, just out of Tyler, Texas, in a place called Garden Valley. Have you heard of uh, David Wilkinson? Teen Challenge, The Crossless Switchblade... Well that was a property owned by David Wilkinson many years ago and he sold it to Youth of the Mission for 10 cents on the dollar. Hundreds of acres. Well uh, the the mercy ships have their headquarters on that property. Well they've taken part of the land and given it over to the mercy ship ministry because it's really an extension of Youth of the Mission. And so when I go walking on the property I walk past that headquarters uh, mercy ships. And dawn Adrian and Dawn Belleville, some of you may know them, local folk living not far from here, they're fishermen. And uh, every year they go to Hawaii, to Kona, to work with the the, uh, the ship ministry at uh, Kona, the Kona base, they have a base there as well. So Anastasis means a standing up again, literally a resurrection from death. Well, I want to ask a few questions and you know the answers but it's just good for us to be reminded. Why is the resurrection... Of, is of such importance. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so it goes on. He to more than 500 at once and so on. According to the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. The resurrection is very, very important. And uh, years ago when we I think, living in Australia, sure, we were doing children's missions and things like that. Uh, Surely you wrote a little song that we would teach the children uh, about that verse, And, uh, you know, you sing and sing and sing and you get the word in you. So it goes something like this. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and rose the third day. On the third day He arose according to the Scriptures. Do you want to sing it with me? You've read that. She was singing it. Uh, Talking of children's ministry, I remember reading years ago of a major children's ministry in America uh, saying that 86% of the American church became Christians before they were 15 years of age. 86%. Another 10% between the age of 15 and 30 and only 4% became believers after the age of 30. And this leader of this national mission and international mission was saying, we spend, as Americans, most of our time, most of our energies, most of our money on the 4%. And he said it's not good business sense from a business point of view. So the mission field really is among the children and the young people. That's where the main harvest is. So just keep that in mind. First Timothy 3.16 By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. Oh, that's resurrection, isn't it? Vindicate means to clear of blame or superstition. It means to show or prove to be right, reasonable or justified. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. If we do not believe that God raised his son from the dead, we cannot claim to be saved. Salvation is all tied up with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So if you do not believe God has raised his son from the dead, you cannot claim to be a Christian, a Bible Christian. I was raised in the Presbyterian church. Shirley was raised in Brethren, which was Evangelical. But in the Presbyterian denomination when I was a boy, it was primarily non-Evangelical. But there were a few ministers, wonderful men of God, knew the Scriptures and they formed the Westminster Fellowship in order to propagate the Gospel amongst the Presbyterians and beyond. But in our growing up there was the Theological College I think in Dunedin, New Zealand and one of the professors was well known because he did not believe that Jesus rose again. His name was Professor Gearing and he was often the talk of Christian circles that he was a heretic, which I believe he was. But here is a man who may have the title reverend or doctor or professor but from God's point of view he was not a believer even though he was training candidates to be Presbyterian ministers in the nation of New Zealand. Probably a bit like that in some other denominations, Cher. Cher Cher Morrison is an ordained United Church minister and she's been a friend of ours for years. She's with us this morning. Welcome Cher, nice to have you here. And you know well in your denomination what's been going on among some of the believers and so on. And she was for years linked to the church in Coons, but you just told me before the service you you don't go there anymore, you don't speak there anymore because the local church has embraced same-sex marriage and all that sort of stuff. And Very, very sad. So we can proclaim, confess to be Christians, but what does the Bible say about people who are Christians? People who Confess Jesus as Lord, and that involves no confession of sin, repentance, surrendering fully to Jesus Christ, and believing that God raised Him from the dead. And if we do not believe that the Father raised the Son from the dead, we have no biblical claim to say I'm a Christian. 1 Corinthians 15:16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we as believers are to be pitied and we are without hope. Well, thank God we don't need to be pitied and we have lots of hope. We have a living hope, don't we? you ever heard of that term, living hope, before? Another question. Oh, by the way, we watched the movie last night. Anyone have Pure Flix, get Pure Flix? You've heard of Netflix? Okay, but there's another organisation called Pure Flix. Anyone seen the movie God's Not Dead? Okay, well the man in that first movie, the pastor of the church, uh, he and his wife have formed another company called Pure Flix and they have movies Um Mostly Christian, but many other movies that are not Christian, but very, very good movies. There's no bad things in them, no bad language and all that sort of stuff. So they've um, uh, raised up this company and uh, they've got a new movie out. It's called uh, The Perfect Wave. And I saw it looking through the movies last night. I thought, oh, this could be someone we know, a New Zealander called Ian McCormick. And uh, it's the story of Ian. And uh, he was just a wild guy and began to travel the world uh, from New Zealand many years ago, just surfing, surfing, surfing. And then he had an encounter where he actually died. And uh, you can see the movie, I won't tell you the story, but he had a praying mother. And it was through the prayers of a mother. In fact, she knew he was in trouble, even though she was in New Zealand and he was in Mauritius off the coast of Africa, she just suddenly knew that his life was in danger of being able to travel and intercede. And it was her prayers that saved this man. He had an encounter with Jesus. He died, he went to hell, had an encounter with Jesus and he was raised up. with just an amazing story. So uh, this is a movie about that. It's called The Perfect Wave. And the guy, Ian, who's played in that movie, the real Ian, he speaks just for a few minutes at the end, he's now a pastor in the city of London, England. And um, it says on the the footnotes there that uh, he's preached to over 61 million people now from a guy that was just going his own way. But God raised him from the dead. And uh, the nurse that was there when the body was taken to the morgue, she got a real shock when suddenly he just came to. But it was because of a praying mother behind the scenes. So God still raises the dead today and Ian's testimony is of that as well. Was the resurrection foretold in the Old Testament? Well, the divine promise of the resurrection runs as one continuous thread throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8, God speaking to Abraham, I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. But in Abraham's time he did not take the land. He just had that plot you know, where he was buried. Um, the Israelites, even to this day, do not have the whole land that God promised them. So in order for that promise to be fulfilled, there has to be a resurrection. And we know that there is a day of resurrection coming. And Job, Job chapter 19, in his terrible state, As for me, I know that my Redeemer leaves, lives, and at the last he will take a stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. So here was Job confessing that there was going to be a day of resurrection and he would uh, see the Lord. Isaiah speaks, Isaiah 26, same thing. Daniel chapter 12 speaks of a time coming. A crime of great distress never has occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those these to everlasting life but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever." So there are different passages in the Old Testament that spoke about uh, the resurrection. Well, next question: Was the resurrection of Jesus foretold in the Old Testament? Well, First Corinthians 15, verse three and four, Paul said, "I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received: that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." So the scriptures, the Old Testament speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look at one or two passages. Psalm 16 verses 8 to 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the departed spirits. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes these verses in full. And in Acts chapter 13, Paul quotes one of these verses. So Paul and Peter alike interpret these words as a direct prophecy of the burial and resurrection of Christ. Peter points out that though these words were spoken by David, they do not apply to David because David's soul was left for many centuries in Sheol and his body suffered the process of corruption. Therefore, this is one of the many messianic prophecies in the Old Testament spoken by David, yet referring not to David himself, but to David's promised seed, the Messiah, the Christ. So, two things happened when Jesus died. Firstly, his body was laid in the tomb, but did not suffer the process of corruption. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful. His body was laid in the tomb, but it did not suffer the process of corruption. Now we know that with humans we suffer corruption. I have an We have an evangelist friend in New Zealand. Um, he has a brother, very very wealthy man, who's terrified of death. And this is going back now thirty, forty years. Uh, he built in the cemetery. He built a crypt or something um, that his body would be placed in when he finally died. Now going back forty years, this it cost him a quarter of a million dollars. So, you can imagine what it would cost today. Maybe a million dollars. Guy's so terrified of death and he just can't bear the thought that his body will be in the ground decaying and all the worms and so on and so on. So, he's built the special container for his body so it's not going to experience uh, what most bodies experience. Well, it's still going to crumble to dust eventually. So, the body of Jesus was laid in the tomb but did not suffer any process of corruption. And secondly, His spirit descended into Sheol, the place of departed spirits, but did not remain there for longer than the period between his death and his resurrection. Now Sheol, the place of departed spirits, in the Greek it's referred to as Hades, the place of departed spirits. I remember being in an airport, I think it was in New Brunswick, years and years ago, and just filling in a bit of time before the flight and I noticed at the little shop there, um, there was, a, I think, a Rolling Stone magazine. And the cover caught me. was all to do with Hades, Sheol. And inside was a, was a map of Hades. And it was just a complete mockery of this place, the place of hell, place of departed spirits. And I wanted to buy a copy just to have it for reference and refer to it you know, in preaching. But I thought, no, I'm not going to give any money towards this this uh, magazine. But I wish now I'd done it. A um, bit like I was in Russia one time. In fact, we might be on the same trip here in Russia. One of the most popular brands of cigarettes at that time was called Black Death. So, <laughs> and cigarettes are very cheap in Russia compared to Canada, not that I smoke. But I bought a packet because... The cover. Do you remember it, sir? The cover was a, a, a head. Uh, it was a, it was a skeleton with a top hat, like a British top hat, and with a cane. So here was this skull, top hat, and cane, and it says a beautiful blend of you know, tobaccos and so on and so on and so on. Black Death. Well, could it be said better than that? Black Death. So here was this magazine joking, mocking the reality of the place of departed spirits. How sad, how blind people can be. So this revelation of the place of Hades um, it's um, confirmed in more details through the revelation in the New Testament. In Luke 23 we read of Jesus as he said to the penitent thief Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two thieves crucified with Jesus. One reached out to Jesus and um, trusted in him. The other rejected him. And the word paradise literally means a garden. And it's one of the names given to that place in the next world which is reserved for the departed spirits of the righteous. So I think you've spoken on this in the past long. Because Shirley said some years ago you spoke on Sheol, Hades. And apparently it was a very good message from what she said. (coughs) But just keeping it simple, there is a place, the Bible says, in the heart of this earth called Sheol or Hades. Under the old covenant, when people died, their bodies went back into the grave, the ground, but their spirits, their souls went down into Hades, to Sheol, to await the day of resurrection. Abraham went down. David went down. There were two exceptions there was Enoch who walked with God and was not and there was Elijah who was caught up into the very presence of God. But every other Old Testament saint, when they died, their spirits went down to await the day of resurrection. They went to the righteous section of Sheol, referred to as Abraham's bosom or um, you know it was a garden, a place of rest. The unrighteous, the unbelievers, went to the unrighteous section and we see this in Luke 16 that Jesus spoke of that historical account. It wasn't a parable an historical account of the rich man and the beggar. One went to one section of Sheol, one went to the other and there was a gulf between them that they could not cross. So this is a very, very real place. And Jesus said to the thief who trusted him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23:46. when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. By the words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, we understand that Jesus, he had committed the destiny of his Spirit at death into the hands of his heavenly Father. His body, he knew, was to be laid aside in the tomb, but the destiny of the Spirit was to be decided by God the Father. In all this we see that Jesus having taken upon himself in addition to his divine nature, the nature of humanity passed through the same experiences that await each human soul at death. His body was committed to the tomb and burial by the hands of men but his spirit was committed into the hands of God and his destiny was settled by the sentence of God. another question. What happened to Jesus after he died? We know what happened to his body. it was taken down uh, wrapped in, in grave clothes and placed in a tomb. Anyone been to the garden tomb in Jerusalem? Very, very real, isn't it? Very, I mean, right outside, just from that very garden, you can see, and there's the skull of the rock. It looks like a skull, the eyes and the nose and everything else. Um, right there. <coughs> and so, if you've been to that place, as you have, It's very likely the very tomb that Jesus' body was placed, right next to the the skull of the rock. What happened to Jesus? What happened to his spirit? After his spirit was released from the earthen vessel? Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. This is Paul speaking concerning Christ. Now this, he ascended. (coughs) What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? (coughs) He who descended... Is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So, considering what these words are saying, when Jesus died, his body went into the tomb, <coughs> and the Spirit descended into Sheol, the place of departed spirits. Can you give me a little word, please, Thank you. <coughs> okay. Since the gospel record, uh, record indicates that the death of Christ on the cross preceded the death of the two thieves, it seems natural to suppose that Christ was in paradise to welcome the departed spirit of the penitent thief who followed him there. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to have a bathroom break. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have a, a, a drinking break. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good man. thinking of something very funny, but it's not the time to be speaking about something very funny. <laughs> <coughs> and she really knows what I'm thinking, so she's saying, no, no, no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No, 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 please don't give any indication. Um, so his body went to the tomb, but his spirit went down into Sheol, the place of departed spirits. And Jesus visited both sections of Sheol. The righteous section, he was there to welcome that penitent thief, but also the unrighteous section. Why did Jesus go to the unrighteous section? Well, we're told that he went and made proclamation to people there. Didn't preach the word really, as herald to make proclamation. But you see, Jesus fulfilled the type of the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. Uh, a goat was taken, two goats and hands were laid upon the goat. There was a transference of the sins of the people, or they represented the people's sins being placed upon them. One goat was slaughtered, its blood shed, obviously, and that blood taken into the holy place, and the most holy place, and sprinkled on the mercy seat. But the other goat was taken by a, a fit man out into the wilderness. He was removed far from that location. And when Jesus died, he bore on himself our sins, our sicknesses, our sorrows, and he carried them away. Jesus went down into that place called Sheol, the, the unrighteous section, to um, to fulfil the fact that when he died he was bearing the consequences of our sin. At some stage, while in the lower realm of Sheol, Christ preached to the spirits of those who had lived wickedly in the days of Noah and who consequently had been consigned to a special place of imprisonment in Sheol. 1 Peter 3, 18 For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then, when God's appointed, at God's appointed moment, when all the divine purposes of the atonement had been accomplished, the spirit of Christ ascended up again into the realm of Sheol, from the realm of Sheol to this present temporal world. At the same time, his body, which had been lying lifeless in the tomb, was raised up from death, and spirit and body were once again reunited to form a complete personality. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 22. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus wrote, speaking of him as being the firstfruits. But also in Jerusalem, it says that many of the saints were raised up after his resurrection and appeared to many in the city. Not all the saints were raised up but some of the saints were raised up. They were some of the first fruits. So Jesus rose and a number of the saints were raised up as well. So they experienced a resurrection at that time. So Paul indicates that the resurrection of Christ from the dead set a pattern which is to be followed by all men and this pattern we may distinguish two threads. First man's immaterial part of spirit is to come forth once again from the realm of departed spirits Second, his, immaterial, his material part, his body, is to be raised up again from death. In this way, spirit and body are once again to be reunited, thus reconstituting the complete personality of man with its material and immaterial parts, its three elements of spirit, soul and body. And then Hosea chapter 6, very interesting, 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. This prophecy was not just referring to Jesus but to those who trust in Jesus. He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. Romans 6 If we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would be no longer slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So Jesus deliberately made himself one with the sinner. He took the sinner's guilt, made himself one with the sinner's corrupt and fallen nature. He died the sinner's debt. He paid the sinner's penalty. And we are by faith to identify with Jesus in death, burial and resurrection. And this is why I believe water baptism is so very, very important. There are many, many believers who have never been baptised in water. Um, When I became a Christian, my Baptist friends began to pressure me to get baptised in water. I said, I've been baptised. I was baptised as a baby. I was sprinkled. No, no, that's not baptism. That's not baptism. And the more they pressured me to do it their way, uh, the more I dogmatised them. I didn't know that the word um, baptizo means to cause something to be whelmed, whether it's whelmed in suffering or in the Holy Spirit or in water. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the Bible speaks of believers' baptism. And of course little babies can't believe. But one day I went to a brethren church and there was a water baptism taking place. In fact I had a friend of mine with me from the church and we'd never been baptised by immersion and There was a baptism service taking place and I tell you, uh, that baptism, well those baptisms spoke a thousand words to me. And I went to the pastor after the meeting I said, oh, I I want to be baptised. Can I be baptised now? Oh, no young man, you know. In order to um, be baptised you've got to go to some special classes for an extra thousand years and so you've got some (laughs) understanding. I couldn't wait the weeks that were required. And I found a church the next Sunday where I could be baptised in water and my friend also. So two Presbyterians were, were baptised, immersed. You see death, these folks in the baptismal pool were saying, do you believe that Jesus you know, is, is Lord? Yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Identifying with Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection. It was a picture I just had to get baptised immediately. But it had to wait a week. And it was an amazing experience. I've never had an experience like it before in my life. Never in church life have I ever had such an experience. Do you know what happened to me? I got thoroughly wet (laughs) in church. (laughs) Under the water, out of the water. I got wet. Yeah, thoroughly wet. Thoroughly wet. Now, baptism doesn't save us. But baptism is an outward sign to unseen spirit power that we're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection. Water baptism is an outward sign to others and to unbelievers that we are identifying with Jesus in death, burial and resurrection from the dead. Um, I was in Cambodia some years ago with a young guy he has been with us this last week and um, we're at a Christian compound that was Um, built for caring for orphans and there's a a lake or a pond about the size of this building. Dirty, brown water. Um, It was amazing. They dug out this hole. The rain's come, filled it with water and they're catching fish for the children. No fish were placed in there but it was just producing fish. Amazing, amazing. The fruit trees they had were producing fruit. The governor of the province lived right next door. His fruit trees kept dying and he had to put new ones in. But the Christian orphanage there, the fruit trees were prospering. Isn't that interesting? But in that time we were there, a number of pastors were baptised in water. And I said to my missionary friend, how come the pastors haven't been baptised? Well, so many of them have only been Christians just to few weeks for a few months. and um, People are coming to the Lord and these young Christians are having to become pastors, some of them, and caring for the people. They've been so busy, they haven't had time to be baptised. So that's why they were being baptised as pastors because they just hadn't had the opportunity before that time. Isn't that interesting? I remember being in Russia one trip and there was a young lady she was pastoring a church of 200 and pastoring a church of 200. Why was she pastoring that church? Why wasn't there a man pastoring that church? Well, you see, these were her converts. She preached the gospel after she got saved, people coming to the Lord. There was nowhere to go except a traditional, you know, non-believing church. And so she had to gather these people and care for them, pastor them and teach them as a young Christian herself. That's why she was pastoring 200 people. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. As soon as we are willing by faith to accept our identification with Christ in his death for our sins, we find that we also identify with Christ in his resurrection and in his victorious life upon God's throne. Entering in through death we become partakers also of His resurrection. Years ago when we were leading a organisation in the city of Hamilton, New Zealand, um, a Maori couple, the native people of New Zealand, they joined our team. They were just new believers. And one day the guy said, please would you go to the Waikato Hospital, the main hospital in the city, and speak to my mother. And she had a heart attack. She Died. She, she, she was unconscious, taken to the hospital and um, but after how many hours was it, or days, she came to. I get now. And she had had an experience when she died, because she had died. She, and, and when she explained, and he explained to me what she said and she gathered, some of the family gathered, she was a mother of 19 children. So if you think you're one or two or three four or too many, then she had 19. Um, Some of the family had gathered and she shared what happened during the time that she, oh, four and a half hours, she was unconscious. So I heard it from her son and then she told me in person. She wasn't a believer. She said, I felt myself going down, down, down. I knew I wasn't going up, I knew I was going down. I was falling, 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 Finally I came to the end and she was in a place and she recognised some of the people who were there. One was an uncle, an ungodly uncle who had died two years earlier and another was her grandmother who said to her, don't come to this place, don't come to this place, go back, go back, go back. She said, I cried out to God to save me and then she came too on the hospital bed. She wanted to get right with God. Didn't know how to. And the son that spoke to me about this, he said, look, I'm just a young Christian and you, you would be more able to, to speak to her than me. So she told me the story. And I'll tell you, she was the easiest person I have ever had to witness to. She was ready, 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 ready to give her life to Jesus. And at that time, uh, no one knew if she was going to live because she was in such a serious condition. But I spoke to her as if she would live. I spoke about repentance as well as faith in God and I talked about Jesus, his death, his resurrection and the need of surrendering to him and she prayed the prayer and something wonderful happened. She gave her life to Jesus and she received forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And the next day I went to see her and she was already out of the intensive care in another room. And as I walked to her bedside, she said to me, speaking of death, next time I know I'm going up. I know I'm not going down. Now, she didn't know the Bible, but she had that witness in her heart the witness of the Spirit of God. Next time I know I'm going up, I know I'm not going down. She had glimpsed Sheol, the unrighteous section. Well, did Jesus foretell his own death? Many times he did, as in Matthew chapter 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then Jonah 3.10, Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now here's something just to think about. We traditionally think of Jesus dying on Friday and rising on Sunday. It couldn't have been that way. That is not three full days and three full nights, 72 hours. When did Jesus die? When did he rise? Oh, I believe he died. I believe he died and rose again three days later. I believe he died. He rose 72 hours, the full three days and the full full three nights. So think about that. I was going to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it, but um, no... (laughs) You wouldn't be having a pipe, I wouldn't think. Uh, Did Jesus foretell his own death? Matthew 16, from that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Again, in Matthew 20, we have his foretelling his own death. Matthew 26, um, again speaking of that. uh, Matthew 26, speaking of uh, the Last Supper. One of you is going to betray me. Oh, is it me, Lord? Is it me? It's the one who dips in the dish with me. And we know that Judas did that. But the disciples didn't see it. They didn't know what was going on, really. Their eyes are blinded. Uh, were there witnesses to his resurrection? First Corinthians fifteen, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Many witnesses. And in the days of Jesus, from the biblical point of view, um, it was necessary for two or three witnesses to confirm a matter. Well, more than two or three witnesses. A greater number than what was required of in the law. Uh, These witnesses experienced a dramatic and permanent change in their lives and there's no satisfactory explanation other than they really saw Jesus. Their witness, their confirming that he was alive caused many of them to lose their lives. But they were willing to do it. They had nothing of the of, of natural realm to gain from doing that. Uh, witnessing Jesus alive produced a radical and permanent change in the course of history. History will never be the same and there is no satisfactory alternative explanation for that change. And then as we know, the resurrected Christ has continued to reveal himself personally to countless millions over the following centuries. And we are some of those. Well, just a few more thoughts here. There's so much that could be said. John 20, Jesus appeared to Mary. Jesus thought that uh, Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. And then suddenly her eyes were opened. And she came and she clung to him. And what did Jesus do? He said, Stop clinging to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. What was he saying? What he was saying was, I'm not only the sacrifice, I was the lamb that was slain, whose blood was shed, but I'm your great high priest, and I am yet to rise into the heavenly sanctuary. The earthly tabernacle and temple were merely a copy and shadow of the true tabernacle in the heavens. He was saying, Don't touch me. I have yet to ascend to the Father, my God and your God. And there he sprinkled his blood in the heavenly sanctuary, thus making a new way open into the very presence of God. Sometime after that, Jesus then took captivity captive. The believers in the righteous section of Sheol were then ushered by the Lord Jesus into the very presence of God in the third heaven. And now, as believers... When we physically die, it's absent from the body and present with the Lord. As the case of Stephen, when he was being martyred, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So when we die physically as believers, we're not going down, we're going up. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? Wonderful news. God wants all to go up. Now there's much more I could say. Oh what's the nature of the resurrection body? Don't want us to be going too long here. Just say this without reading the scriptures. The resurrection body goes from the mortal to the immortal. The present body is subject to death. The resurrection body is not subject to death. From perishable to imperishable, our natural body is subject to corruption, but not so the resurrection body. From dishonour to glory, our present body carries on at the marks of sin. From weakness to power, and death is the ultimate expression of weakness. From the natural to the spiritual, And in the spiritual body, the spirit directly controls the body. So with Jesus, in his resurrection body, he was no longer subject to the limitations of time and space. He could appear and disappear at will. He could pass through locked doors. He could appear in different forms in different places. He could ascend to heaven. He could descend to the earth. Why does the resurrection occupy a special and central place in the Christian faith? I need to say a few thoughts here. Firstly, the resurrection is God's own vindication of Jesus Christ himself. Romans 1.4 Who was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So previously, Jesus had been brought before two human courts, the religious court of the Jewish Council and the secular court of the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, and both of these courts had rejected the claim, his claim to be the Son of God, and had condemned him to death. Both of these courts had united in seeking to prevent any breaking open of the grave of Jesus. And to this end, the Jewish council provided their special seal, and the Roman governor had provided an armed guard of soldiers. But on the third day, God intervened. The seal was broken, the armed guard was paralysed and Jesus came forth from the tomb. Secondly, it's the sure seal upon God's offer of forgiveness and salvation to every sinner who will put their trust in Christ. Romans 5.24 He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. The sinner's justification is dependent upon Christ being raised from the dead. Had Christ remained on the cross or in the tomb, God's promise to the sinner of salvation and eternal life could never have been fulfilled. It is only the risen Christ, received and confirmed by faith, who brings the sinner pardon, peace, eternal life and victory over sin. And then, As we've seen, salvation is dependent upon two things. Openly confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in the heart that God raised him from the dead. Thirdly, it constitutes the culmination of all of our hopes as Christians and the supreme goal of our life of faith here on the earth. Paul could say that I may know him, that the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, just a story or two. Modern day Testaments, That movie I spoke about, The Perfect Wave, is a testimony of God raising someone from the dead in our lifetime. I've never met Ian, but he did contact me a few years back and wanted to meet with me in London when I was there. There's a missionary, American missionary to Mexico called David Hogan. And he is a very special friend of uh, the pastor of the church that we go to in California regularly. This man has <coughs> raised up hundreds of churches through his uh, other leaders, hundreds of churches over the last 20, 30 years. He has seen, they have seen hundreds of people raised from the dead. Hundreds. And not just people who have been dead for five minutes. Sometimes I remember one story he told of people being dead for two days, two young teenage girls lying in an open grave. Lime had been placed over their bodies they are about to be covered over and buried. And David came, and the leaders came, and they prayed and commanded life, and those two teenage girls were raised from the dead. And those girls would probably be uh, in their 20s now, and they're doing well. Hundreds of lives raised from the dead. Amazing, amazing, amazing. There was a missionary, uh, an evangelist in New Zealand called Murray Thompson that I came to know when I first became a Christian. He was a Maori evangelist. And there was a revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Solomon Islands. Signs and wonders and miracles. And I've met other missionaries who have gone there and witnessed firsthand God moving in such power. And Murray said to me one day when I was in this home, Graham, God used me to, to raise two people from the dead when I was on that, on that trip. He said, I'd never talk about it publicly in case people think I'm boasting. But he talked about these two occasions in the midst of all the signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, people's faith was rising, rising, rising. And he was taken to a little hut where there was a dead body lying on a bed. On two two occasions. They wanted me to pray and raise that person from the dead. He said, I felt so weak, so unable. I knelt alongside of that bed and I prayed and I prayed. I, I mean, what would you do? What would I do if I was in that situation? And as he continued to wait and look to the Lord, Suddenly, he said, I felt an authority come within me, a strength come within me. And he turned to that lifeless body and commanded life in the name of Jesus. And he said on both occasions, those spirits that had gone came back into the bodies and those people were raised up and he could present them to their families. Just amazing stories. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, well, one story, you know how it is, preachers, just one more story. Um, Some years back, Um, I think you got the phone call, Cheryl. A pastor's wife in Vancouver, a New Zealander, that we knew, uh, phoned our home and said, do you know anybody in the city of in New Zealand, that could go to the hospital and pray for a young man who's who's just on the verge of death? And uh, Shirley has a a first cousin in that city and she said, yes, um, I can get in touch with my cousin. Well, this young man was on life support the doctors could do nothing for him. They'd given up on him. Before Shirley got in touch with the cousin, another phone call. It's okay, it's okay, you don't have to do it. He's been raised from the he's been raised up. And this is what happened, we discovered. The father and mother, who were good Christian folk, they weren't Pentecostal or anything like that, they were just evangelical Christians. They went to the hospital, there was their son on life support. And um, the doctor saying, there's nothing more we can do. Only about 20 years of age. And before they left that room, the father felt to do something. He just placed his hand upon the body of the son and not a dramatic way, just despite words. He rebuked the spirit of death in the name of Jesus. And they left, went home. No so sooner had they got home, the telephone rings, it's the hospital. Come quickly, come quickly. Your son is sitting up in bed. He said that God has spoken to him. He's had a vision and God has spoken to him about what he's going to be doing in the future. Something miraculous had happened. He was the boy now completely well and all the father had done was just to lay his hands upon that boy and to speak a word rebuking death in Jesus' name. And God had taken that word and caused a resurrection from sure death Wow, Uh, this is just a few years ago. God is still doing things today. So let's not limit them. And by the way, the commission, Matthew chapter 10, is to, you know, we preach and to teach, um, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers. It's in the commission. I've never raised anybody from the dead, have you? But, you know, there can be an occasion when. We're in the right place at the right time. the us says speak. And something will happen. Well, let's pray. Oh Lord, you know there's so much that could be said from your word about resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you so much because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Thank you for the hope, the sure hope we have in our lives because Jesus not only died but rose again. And we are among those today who boldly confess Jesus to be Lord. And also Lord we believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead three days after he was crucified. And so we give you praise today. We serve a living Saviour. He's in the world today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord help us to identify with you. Help us to identify with Jesus. In death, death to the sin, death to the present evil world, death to ourselves. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God through Jesus Christ that we might partake more and more and more of the resurrection life that Jesus has provided through his death and rising again. Help us Lord. Help us. Help us. And use us please Lord to touch a dying world. Thank you Father in Jesus name. Amen.